Welcome to the QNS Podcast. Each episode, we take a look back at a week's worth of news in Queens. I'm Jacob K. And I'm Angelica Acevedo. Today on the show, we're revisiting a topic we covered about a month ago, the LaGuardia Air Train. It's a massive project, and it's been picking up a lot of steam this week, both in terms of its support and its opposition. Then we'll have a conversation with Queensboro President candidate Jim Quinn, one of the few conservative-leaning candidates gunning for the seat. Let's burrow in. The air train. At its most simple, it's an elevated train that gets people to LaGuardia Airport. But at its most complicated? Well, it's a multi-billion dollar city planning feat that critics say is undemocratic. The plan now is to build a rail line from the Willits Point Long Island Railroad Station right next to City Field to LaGuardia Airport. The Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA, is in charge of the review process. A few months back, they released a report saying the air train from Willits Point is the best option after they analyzed 47 different alternatives. The process is still in its early stages, but it's clear the city wants to go through with this plan sooner rather than later. On Monday, I was at a protest by a coalition of Queens residents and city councilmen at City Hall. And on Tuesday, reporter Max Parrott attended an FAA information session at the Marriott Hotel in East Elmhurst. So let's talk a little about what's going on. Oh yeah, and Max is here. Welcome, Max. Thanks for having me. So Frank Taylor, he's the president of the Denmark's Boulevard Block Association, a member of Community Board 3 and an Astoria resident. He said during the rally that Queens is being treated like a third world country. And a lot of other people that were rallying with Frank say their voices are being ignored and that the Port Authority is just going to build what they want, where they want it. But you went to one of those meetings where the FAA says they want to hear the community's voice. Did people feel like they were listened to? I'd make a slight distinction that the purpose of the meeting was for community members to hear from the uh, FAA. So basically they have done all these reports um, on alternatives to the air train, which would go from the uh, Wills Point, LIRR, and 7 train, and would go up the Flushing Bay Promenade to the airport. Um, and they've tested a lot of other possibilities as well, um, which some of the critics would rather see get made. And the purpose of the, the meetings this week were just to give the uh, – give people from East Elmhurst, then the surrounding communities, a chance to ask questions about these reports that have already been released. Right. So what I've been hearing from residents and people that have gone to all of these meetings, actually, they say that they have heard the same thing over and over again, basically, at these information sessions, I think is what they call them. Um, so how are this week's meetings different? Did they say anything different? Any updates? So it, it really wasn't about giving new information, I think. It was more about, I mean, there's been a lot of increased pressure. Uh, these are pre-scheduled meetings. Um, I think they scheduled them back in November or earlier. It was more about giving people an answer to why the FAA has deemed all these 46 different alternatives to be impractical. 
Um, so what pe- are some of those? So um, there's a lot of them. Some of them are bus routes. Some of them are subway extensions. The I mean, the most popular one was the 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 subway extension, specifically the one that goes from the NW train to LaGuardia. That basically like the layout was they have all these posters and you know people could go from station to station and there was an FAA representative there to like tell them about you know why that that idea was not practical so the one that was like just had a a crowd of people the entire time was the uh, subway extension one right that's the one I actually think we've been hearing the most people are talking about either the N like you said the N or the W or the R even so did they say anything that you think is of note as to why they don't want to consider that? Well, I talked to the the FAA, the regional planning administrator, his name is uh, Andrew Brooks. And essentially what he said about the criteria they're using is it's like a, it's a combination between like infrastructure obstacles and disruption of service and cost. So what he told me was that when you have infrastructure obstacles like you do in the case of building a new subway uh, train that would either involve tunneling under places where people live or building track over where people live that that involves a what they deem an infrastructure challenge like one criteria they use to just like invalidate them or you know if you really wanted to go ahead and do that then you would be driving up the cost you would be spending a lot of money to do that so either way he said like either way you kind of roll the dice, then you're going to have these problems that they, the FAA, by their criteria that they've set, would deem them undoable. Is there anything else that you think people should know about these meetings? I don't think that there's any more scheduled. I just saw their website. There, so basically at this point, the uh, FAA is going to do the actual Im- environmental impact study, and then they're going to have another meeting um, in the summer. And so this will just be on the air train. The only other thing to note, I think, is that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sent a letter this this week, and she basically asked for explanations on a number of different alternatives. And so... And um, she added also that 77 what was it, letters that were sent in to the FAA were only counted as one. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so in terms of these alternatives, she's like demanding more information about like you know how they're ruled out and um the faa did not comment on her letter specifically they said that they're going to send something to her um like specifically addressed to her um uh, so uh that's something to look out for you know depending on whether she decides to publicize that or not all right thanks max all right thanks for having me Jim Quinn is running for Queensborough president. He spent most of his career inside the Queens District Attorney's Office, but I won't get into too much detail about that now. He'll tell you about it himself in a few. After retiring from the DA's office towards the end of 2019, he took about a week off and then decided to run for office. He leans more conservative than the folks he's running against, and he's taken a platform of law and order. We sat down with Quinn last week, and spoke to him about his campaign for office. Thank you, Jim Quinn, for joining us. Thank you very much. So can you just tell people a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm running for borough president uh, on March 24th. This is the date of the election. I grew up in the Ravenswood housings down in uh, Long Island City. Um, I lived there for the first 26 years of my life. 
I went to public school, PS83, elementary school, junior high school, 126. I then went to Brooklyn Tech High School. After high school, I went to Columbia College, Columbia University. Uh, and I went to Fordham Law School. Uh, I worked my way through college and law school. I used to drive a cab in the city. Uh, I worked as a bank guard and at the, actually the Mass Federal Savings Bank. Um, I worked as a, uh, I worked in a toy store, F.A.O. Schwarz on Fifth Avenue as a clerk. Uh, and I had a bunch of jobs like that to work my way through law school and, and college. Um, I started in the DA's office, district attorney's office in Queens in, on December 19th, 1977. I started in the appeals bureau. Um, I worked in the rackets bureau, the homicide investigations bureau, Supreme Court trial bureau, uh, the major offense bureau, homicide trial bureau. I was the deputy chief of the homicide investigations bureau and then became chief of the Narcotic Trial Bureau. Uh, and then I, when Judge Brown came in in 1992, he made me an executive assistant DA uh, in charge of a, a very good portion of the office. I, I'd say about a third of the office. Um, I was an executive assistant there for 27 years. Uh, on December 31st of last year, about 10 days ago, uh, I retired uh, as an assistant DA. And uh, we've been running this campaign pretty much since January 1st. So you've never left New York? I've never left New York. I've uh, lived here all my life. Um, my mother always used to say she was a fifth-generation New Yorker, which I guess makes me a sixth-generation New Yorker. Uh, she was very proud of the, the city, loved the city, and I love the city too. So why, why did you decide to run for Queensborough president? Well, I mean, uh, as an assistant DA, again, I've been, I've been there for 42 years, and over the last couple of years, it's been extremely difficult to watch what's happening with the so-called reforms to the criminal justice system. And I don't like to call them reforms. I like to call them changes. And I've looked at it happening for three or four years, and it started pretty much with the closing of Rikers, the potential closing of Rikers, because I don't think it's a done deal yet. Um, and in my office, I was essentially the spokesman for the district attorney on the closing of Rikers. Judge Brown was a, a, an opponent of the closing of Rikers. Uh, he wanted to have it rebuilt on Rikers uh, and made into a first-class, world-class prison system. And I would go around to various community groups starting, I guess, about two and a half years ago, talking about closing of Rikers. We would, we would study things when people said it. And then when the new bail law reforms came out, and again, reforms... I have to get into the habit of calling them changes because they're really not reforms because reforms implies that it got better. But um, I also became a spokesman for the office on those changes. We would examine the effect that those laws would have on the criminal justice system and on the population uh, of Rikers. Um, and the, the, the clear indication of, of the effect of those laws is that they're going to be very dangerous to the people in this city uh, and particularly the people in Queens County. And when I saw that, I, I wanted to have a platform to continue the argument against those changes. Um, there are also a lot of changes that came into the law and discovery, uh, where we now have to give over witness names and witness information to the defendant within 15 days of arrest. And it's extremely dangerous to defendants, uh, to, to victims, rather. Um, and I wanted to have a platform to argue against those issues. There, I, I didn't think that there was anybody out there doing that. And I felt that running for borough president, I would have a platform to talk about those things. Do you, do you think there are some cases in which 
these changes, as you call them, would apply or just across across the board? Um, like, for instance, the the the, the discovery change. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's some instances where it would be appropriate to implement those changes? Look, I, there are there are some changes in the law uh, providing additional discovery to the defendant. That's one thing. But what they require now is that within 15 days of the arrest, we have to give over contact information for every single witness in the case, everybody. So I'll give you a typical example. You, you, uh, we have homicides down in the Ravenswood houses or any housing project, and you have a witness who lives up on the sixth floor who calls 911 and just tells the cops, I just saw something and describes what she saw. Um, the defendant gets arrested. Um, you know, A friend of his gives him up. Uh, another witness comes in and IDs him. We have to give over the names, uh, contact information for every one of those people, including e- even if we don't intend to call them at the trial. So the woman up on the sixth floor who reports the incident, we have to give over contact information for her to the defendant, which means that the defendant now can call that person and has to be able to talk to that person, or his attorney has to be able to talk to that person. And that person's identity becomes revealed very quickly. Uh, it's the same thing with the uh, any other eyewitness. Anybody who has any relevant information that information has to be given over to the defendant. And what that does, how many people are going to report crimes? How many people are going to say what they saw? We have enough trouble now getting people to come in and testify, even just to give us information because of the threat uh, from gangs and violent groups in the in the uh, various communities. So that's like a major concern for us. And I don't think people have paid enough attention to that. They passed that law on, on April Fool's Day as part of a gigantic budget deal. Most of the senators and assemblymen had no idea what they were signing, had no, had no idea what they were voting for. And shame on them, absolutely shame on them for what they did. I want to be the voice to the people who are opposing that, and I want to give people an opportunity to vote for me and let them know that they are upset about what these legislators passed and they want it changed. So you came into this short campaign um, a little bit later than some of the other people that had announced. Yes. Um, what, what have you guys been doing to get out your message? Well, right now we're engaged in the, the uh, petitioning campaign to get our name on the ballot. Uh, and I've been, I've been very pleasantly uh, surprised and gratified by the number of people who are coming out to, to, get our, to take our petitions around. And it's not just friends. It's not, it's not politicians. It's people in the community. And a lot of, a lot of the people who've, who I spoke to about Rikers Island coming out to support me in the campaign. And that's very, very gratifying. We, we, it's been a whirlwind 10 days. Um, we, we're trying to get a, a complete campaign committee together, and you know we're, we have to try to do a lot on fundraising. These other candidates have been running for six months. Um, I've been running for 10 days. They have hundreds of thousands of dollars in their campaign accounts. Um, I have I have $500 <laughs> in my account right now, and we're... But it's an enormous amount of work. Uh, It's an enormous amount of running around. But it's something that I really, truly believe in. And it's something that I really believe we can make a change if I'm elected borough president of the county of Queens. So a a little bit back to, uh, you know, Rikers Island, which you spoke about earlier. You know, it's notorious for its poor conditions. And I've read that you are against the borough jail plan. Mm -hmm. Um, So what do we do 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 to fix Rikers Island? Okay, well... I, I mean, I'm not the only one against the borough jail plan. Every community that they want to put the jail in is opposed to the jail plan. Um, the correction officers' union is opposed to the jail plan. Um, most, most moderate 
reasonable groups and people are opposed to the community jail plan. Rikers Island has 415 acres. Right now, there are jails on Rikers Island that could hold 3,400 people that are vacant, absolutely vacant. Part of the New York City jail plan, (laughs) as ridiculous as this sounds, there's a jail in Brooklyn. Uh, They're going to build a new jail on that site. In order to do that, there are 800 prisoners there now. They have to take those prisoners and move them out of that jail. And where are they going to move them? To Rikers Island. But before they move them to Rikers Island, they're going to repair the jail cells on Rikers Island to make them more habitable for them. So in order to, do, in order to build a jail in Brooklyn, they have to move the j- prisoners from Brooklyn. They have to repair the, the uh, jails on Rikers, move them into those jails. Then they have to tear down the Brooklyn jail. Once they tear down the Brooklyn jail, they're going to build a new jail on top of it. And then they're going to move the prisoners that they moved from Brooklyn to Rikers back to the jail in Brooklyn and then rip down the jails that they just built on Rikers Island. And if this makes sense to anybody in New York City, I I just don't understand it. They're going to have to do the same thing in Manhattan because there's a jail in Manhattan that houses about six or 700 prisoners. And they're moving all these people back to Rikers Island. Now, Rikers Island, like I said, has 415 acres. It's It's a large island. It was used as a prison because when you build a prison, large skyscraper prisons are not the modern normal way to build jails. The normal way to build jails is to make them low-rise, three, four stories, and they're spread out over a large area. So you can have a lot of air, you can have a lot of sunshine, you can have a lot of, a lot of open uh, open spaces. That's not the, the plan that they have. It is so ridiculous. You could build, you could start building on Rikers Island tomorrow, theoretically. I mean, if they had spent the last three years planning jails on Rikers, they'd be pretty much almost finished with them by now. Now they're talking about not having these jails built until 2026. Plus, they're going to spend $10 billion to do it, to build the local jails, when they could have done it far more cheaper uh, on Rikers Island. But the main thing that people have to understand is that these bail laws that they passed are designed to reduce the population on Rikers Island so that they don't have to build humongous jails around the city because they think that that would would engender less uh, community opposition if they build a... 20-story jail in Kew Gardens, they think that they can get that through, whereas if they had to build a 30-story jail, they couldn't. So the, the, the bail laws are designed to get people out of Rikers, reduce the population, so that they can build smaller jails in the various uh, counties. And the people that they are letting out under these new bail laws are career criminals. They're only charged with crimes, but they have histories of 15 prior arrests on average. Because we looked at it, we did a study of it. The city has not done that kind of a study. Or if they have, they're keeping it awfully quiet. Do you have any plans for your first day as Queensborough president? <laughs> first day? Yeah. I, well, one of the things I would like to do is, is start planning public hearings on the closing of Rikers Island. And I would bring these public officials in, and I'd have them sit down and explain to the people of Queens why they want to build this jail in their neighborhood and what they did in order to to reduce the population so low and what type of people they let out. And I would have them explain that to the people of New York. Jim Quinn, thank you very much for speaking with me. All right. Thank you very much. Looking for something to do this week? We got you covered. The Aquarius is back this weekend, beginning on Saturday, January 25th. The Sustainable Seafood Festival takes place at the Foundry in Long Island City. 
Tickets are about $100, but your purchase gives you access to all rooms and performances, as well as all craft cocktails. Tickets can be purchased at AquariusNYC.com. Celebrate the Lunar New Year at the Lewis Latimer House on Saturday, January 25th from 2.30 to 5.30 p.m. There will be activities for all ages and it's all free. Quiet Events and Salsa and Queens are teaming up for a silent disco dance class for kids. But parents, don't worry. A ticket buys you access to an open bar and a buffet of little bites. Takes place from 5 to 8 p.m. on Saturday, January 26th. Tickets are $25 and you must bring a valid ID to rent headphones. That's our show. Thanks so much for tuning in. This episode was co-hosted by Angelica Acevedo and me, Jacob Kay. I edited and mixed the episode. Both Angelica and I are reporters in the Queen's Courier newsroom, as are Max Parrott, Jenna Badkal, Carlotta Muhammad, and Bill Perry. Our editor is Zach Gowelb. Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions, published by Schneps Media. See you next week.